0: Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James, and today, Book Review Bonus Episode. We are going to be covering Suburban Monsters by Christopher Hawkins. Well, welcome back, listener. Today, bonus book review episode. We are going to be going over Suburban Monsters written by Christopher Hawkins. Now this is a compilation of 13 different horror stories. They all cover something different. In other words, they don't have the same, they're not all talking about the same thing. They have different themes, different characters, different situations. Really a lot of fun and what you look for in a piece that has a bunch of different stories in it all written by the same person they all definitely have his very specific I guess uh, voice in each of those you can tell in other words that he wrote each one of the stories in there and I thought it was great I loved the difference in the stories I like the fact that you kind of had a grab bag you know you won't never get tired of one thing or the other each story brought something different it was enjoyable very much You know, I I hate to use the reference of Tales from the Crypt for everything, but what I mean is just kind of that fun stories that you can get into. You know, they're serious, they're dark, but they also, you know, some of them are lighthearted. They might have a joke in it or something like that. But it's just something that's easily digestible. You know, you can pick it up when you just want to be entertained, you know, or you got a layover somewhere or you're at the, you know, waiting on the bus or whatever. Your situation might be a lunch break, just something you want to pick up, read a story or two. Uh, get your little horror fix and then move on. So yeah, Suburban Monsters. It's by uh, Coronis Publishing. It came out in 2023. And I think I already said there's 13 stories. So I think what I'll do now when I have books that have multiple stories in them is just randomly pick some stories out of there, kind of cover those and then let you, cause I don't want to ruin the whole book, obviously. So I'll just kind of give you a little, a little teaser, a little appetizer tray of what you can find inside the book. And that way you can go out and buy it and enjoy the rest of it on your own. Because as you know with these, I like to give walkthroughs of the, the book I'm reading or the movie I'm watching or whatever it might be. Book reviews are a little bit different just because a lot of the movies that are review are already out. They've already made their money off of the film or whatever. So I just want to review it just so you can know what you're getting into if it's something you're on the fence of, whether or not you want to use your very valuable time to watch that. Well, with a book, you know, uh, a lot of these authors, I would say nearly all of them, are indie authors. And so, you know, I don't want to take any money out of their pocket by giving the entire book away. So, especially with these anthologies or, you know, groups of stories or whatever. Yeah, we'll just just give you a little teaser and hopefully it's enough to you know, whet your appetite and get you to go on to their website, their publisher's website or wherever it is that you purchase your books. I do want to mention before we get started that it appears that Christopher has a new book that you can pre-order called Downpour. I don't know anything about it. I would encourage you believe he has an Instagram and all the other socials. You can just Google his name and his stuff will come up and find out more about that particular book. But if it's anything like, you know, what I've read in these other stories, it looks very entertaining. All right, let's get into it. So as I had said before, there's going to be 13 stories in here. I'm only going to cover four of them. And again, I picked these at random. I didn't look up to see, like, what's the best story. Only reason being is sometimes the best story to people that, you know, are leaving reviews and stuff like that might not be a best overall depiction. The best stories is going to be, you know, subjective to the type of horror they like. If they like vampires or monsters or slashers or whatever it might be, those are the ones that are going to stick out to them. So I didn't want it to be biased in any way, so I just randomly picked Our first story is called Green Eyes. Most of these are typically pretty short. I'm going to say about 20, we'll say 20 pages, maybe. A story is kind of a good average of what you're getting into, and the story's no different. So Green Eyes is going to start with a little girl getting in a fight at school, and she straight up bloodies this kid up. I mean, knuckles up with this this boy that was giving her a hard time, messes him up, and then runs away. So she runs away from the school before she has to meet with the principal. And there's talks about DCS being called to her home. There's talks about her mom being sick. And it's all from the perspective of this little girl. Now, as she runs home, we get the idea that the house is in shambles. There's a hole in the roof. There's weeds growing up through the floorboards. The whole front yard is just overgrown. And just, it's a dilapidated shack. And as I was reading it, I was thinking oh, shit, this poor little girl is homeless. You know, she's living in a shack. There's no one there to take care of her. And then eventually we find out that her mom has died. And I think DCS had come to the house before to talk to them about, like, her condition. Maybe the little girl was dirty or something like that. But anyway, the mom dies. And when she dies, she tells the little girl that she has to shove this little spiky seedling thing in her mouth and down her throat. So she gives very specific instructions to this little girl. And I think they even rehearse it or something like that. So, you know, the little girl's like, well, when it happened, you know, I wasn't scared. I knew what I had to do. And uh, also this little girl talks about you don't know how long she's been there by herself. Obviously, it's grown up all over the place, the grass, you know, the hole in the roof and all this other stuff. So she's been, like, this surviving on her own for a while. Now, how does she survive? I don't know, fucking drinking rainwater or something. But I do know she's been eating bugs because it's in the story about her, you know, snacking on grasshoppers and all this other stuff. Very, You get the 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 image of this very feral little kid, you know, just trying to survive in a house, but she doesn't necessarily... Feel like she's abandoned if that makes sense so after this happens there's a whole lot of explanation about the house the state of the house all the things growing up through the home it really sets a a, a creepy odd tone a little bit of mystery you know what's happened the mom dies but once you stick a seed in her mouth there's just a lot going on packed into this short little story and it's going to end with the cops come to check on the kid they got dcs with them and all this stuff in the mom Emerges as this plant monster thing and is just slaughtering these fucking cops while you know they're coming to get the kid or whatever it might be. And mom is this weird plant monster, so yeah, that's uh, that's the story. I promise you, I didn't do it justice, but that's just kind of a recap. It is very entertaining to the point of, I guess, the phrase that I've heard before on other shows, uh, Dead Languages, it, it talked about it for called popcorn fiction. I feel like it is that uh, that kind of horror, popcorn horror, where it's just entertaining, a yummy little snack. I love the story. I, you you know, it's one of those where I think when you read some of these, maybe you can kind of figure out what's going to happen by the end, but maybe not. But it doesn't really matter, you know. Just like it tells from the crypt crypt episode, you you're pretty sure what's going to happen in the end, but it doesn't matter because it's just entertaining and it's a lot of fun. And since this dude can write really well, it's just, you know, that much better. So that's going to be the first story that I came across. Again, it was called Green Eyes, which makes sense because of the plant stuff. But also that's going to be a monster story. So we have ourselves a monster story, plant monster at that. So that's one little tasty treat. The next story is called Moonrise Over Water with Sargasm 2022 Oil on Canvas. I have no idea what the fuck is up with that title. I'm sure it means something, or maybe that's how art is, you know, um, titled or whatever like that. But anyway, it's a very long title, but that's what it is. You can re-listen to it because I'm not going to say it again. But this, again, was a very cool story, very reminiscent of things I've seen on Tales from the Crypt. I keep referencing that, and I apologize, but it's just the best descriptor I can give you of something that is... It's just so entertaining and good and just, just what you want when you just want that little horror fix, you know, without diving into something super deep. So this story is going to start out with a woman. She's on the beach, and she's sitting there with, I'm guessing, her husband, who is a rich, drunk asshole of a guy. And that's, I believe it's explained at this point very early on that that's how it is. She is not as hammered as he is, but he's just walking around like pissing in the, literally, literally pissing in the wind. And this story spends some time with her talking about her life, what it was before this man, what it was like during the marriage. And then up to this point of them being on the beach in front of their extremely expensive, nice house and her living this luxurious uh, life of lavishness. Now, as she gives these little, you know, monologues or insights, you find out that this guy, he's hes a philanderer, he's a cheating, mentally abusive, really piece of human garbage, right? You know, he's just awful to this woman. Now, we don't get a whole lot about her. We do get her past, and it says that she was a painter. And the as he describes the stuff, it's really beautiful wording, and it's nice, like I said, the fact that, Um, Christopher Hawkins can write, even though we are reading these very entertaining you know, kind of popcorn at the movies sort of stories. There's really intelligent writing in here, and some of it's quite uh, beautiful, poetic. I don't know what the best word is to use for it, but it's enjoyable to read. And the wording in this particular story about the realities of these types of relationships. So the guy makes her feel special and he uses money and his clout to lead her to believe that you know, this would be her life with him. You know, I can get you in all the great art galleries. Everyone's going to know your paintings. Everyone's going to know your name. You know, no one's going to love you like I will. I can, you know, take your whatever, your artwork to the next level in something that you would never be able to accomplish on your own. And she finds out very quick that to him, she was just something to own. So the fact that she was this up-and-coming artist and he could see what she was going to be he just wanted that as a trophy for himself. He didn't necessarily love her. He just loved the status or whatever that she was going to bring to his you know, collection, let's say. And again, with the great lines, it says, uh, uh, like, nice cufflinks and would uh, take them off when he got home just the same. In other words, that's how he treated her, you know, just a piece of arm candy, something to show off, oh, yeah, that's my super talented, famous uh, painter of a wife. And then as soon as he got home she was nothing to him. And so we got a really good character building in the short amount of time of this dude being a real turd and you hate him and you're hoping something bad's gonna happen to him and feeling really sorry for her and her situation. So as she's talking about her love for painting and what it's been like since she's been married with him and him being a cheater, he threatens her by making her feel like she's nothing without him. In other words, he kind of traps her in this relationship. You know, like, if you leave me, all the financial help will be gone, all this all this lifestyle that you've grown accustomed to will be gone. You'll never sell another painting again. And through all of this, you know, just brow bashing her and making her feel like shit, she she says she's lost her love for painting, which is sad. Take someone's passion away, you know. Uh, yeah, again, it's a it's a horrible situation. So there's a, a quote here that she says, "The brushes were his now, things that he controlled. Hateful things that she did not want to touch any more than she wanted to touch him. A mere accessory. She followed in his wake, smiling when told, dressing the way he wanted. He wore her the way he wore a watch or a set of cufflinks. And when they were alone, he took her off just as easily. I mean, shit, man. I'm sitting here reading a horror book, you know, entertaining stuff. And then you get a banger of a line like that. I just thought it was really expressive for this type of relationship. So yeah, kudos. All right. So the bulk of the story is on that. And then we finally get to the horror aspect of it. Well, I would argue the relationship is pretty horrific, but we're going to get to our, you know, fun, crazy, what's going to happen horror stuff. So this guy falls, he hits his head and she realized that he's bleeding really heavily as the water's coming in and out, notices there's a bunch of blood pulling around him and she decides, you know what? I'm just gonna pull this guy into the ocean and just let him sink. This is my way out. This is how it's gonna go, and you know we're just gonna end this right here in this nightmare. So as she starts to pull him closer to where the surf can come in and grab him and pull him out, he comes to and he's trying to fight her he's but you know he's been he's got a big bust busted open hole in his head or wound or whatever it is. It's bleeding profusely, so he's not much of a fight. Well, as he's doing this. There was talk earlier about some seaweed and how there's all this seaweed all over the, the shore and all that. Well, the seaweed pretty much becomes a second person to help her drown this guy in the ocean. And the seaweed ends up wrapping around him and taking him slowly down under the water. Really cool imagery here with as it brings him down uh, deeper into the ocean. And, yeah, that's pretty much the end of that story. So, yeah... Uh, the, the relationship partner here, that's what made it so cool for me. I know I'm not doing these any justice. If you read it, just trust me, it will pull you into that world. Each story that I read pulled me into the world that it created and all of them were different. And I just thought that was a really cool part about this book. And I think it's a part that if you, uh, decide to go out and purchase it for yourself, that you'll enjoy as well. So in that story, we've had some kind of weird plant monster in the first story that I checked out. This one, I guess you could argue with the seaweed, maybe some other type of plant monster. But more about the, mon- the human monster, I'm going to say, is what this one is about. You know, horrific relationships and that kind of stuff. And, you know, what would we do to escape? You know, all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be that one. The next story is called Ten and Gone. Now, this, out of all the ones that I've read, was probably one of my favorite. I just like the whole setup. I like the way it played out and the ending and all that. Just really cool. Very reminiscent of a couple of other stories I read. I won't make the comparison, so you can read it for yourself and see if it reminds you of anything. But, uh, yeah, so Ten and Gone, a guy breaks into a house, and he says he sees he's a he's a thief. He's a cat burglar, right? That's his job I guess you could say and he notices a house that uh, hasn't been moved into yet and he knows that because all the lights are super bright inside and you can tell that there's no furniture or anything like that so his assumption is that people will be moving in or maybe they have some stuff in there but haven't you know moved all like the furniture and everything else just starting to bring boxes in or whatever so I believe he also talks about how He's done it multiple times before, and he's in a bad. Re- we get the idea that he's in a bad relationship with his girlfriend. He's looking for that one big score that can get him back in the good graces with his girlfriend and his child. And so that's his situation. He goes into the house. He not only, another reason that we can tell he's done this before is he says everything takes 10 minutes. So the title, 10 and Gone, that's where he comes from, saying that he's done it so much that he doesn't even really have to time himself anymore. He has an internal clock that lets him know. Ten minutes. If you can't get it in ten minutes, then you didn't need it or it wasn't worth it. So he gets himself into this house and he's looking around and he just he knows that he needs to get something big, jewelry, just those high ticket items. He goes upstairs and starts looking for some stuff. He finds some shoes and a couple of other things, some uh, some high dollar, you know, high end shoes. He decides, well, fuck it. I mean, if this is what I can find, this is what I can find, and he starts throwing some of those in his little cat burglar bag, I guess. I imagine like that big sack that you throw, that someone in a striped black and white shirt with a little uh, bandit thing on their eyes would throw a big sack over their shoulder and, and walk out with. So uh, that's not the case, but it's just funny to think about. So so he sees this, gets his bounty, and decides to make his way back down the stairs. It's a multi-story house. And on his way back down, he sees a box at the landing that, is, that says good stuff written in marker on the side. Now, the important thing about this box is he did not see it on the way up there. He's extremely observant, but he also says, well, maybe, you know, I was just too turned up, you know, with the excitement of everything, and I didn't see it, but in the back of his mind, he knows that box wasn't there. So he starts to get really nervous that there's someone else in the house with him. Who the fuck is it? So there's good tension in this story, a lot of, is this guy going to get caught? Whoever's in the home with him. Are they going to catch him? There's scenes where he stands very still and he's waiting to hear movement. And like I said, the the tension that's built in this particular story is really good. I'm just as nervous as the cat burglar guy as I'm reading through this story about like, oh shit, you know, what's going to happen? Anyway, he ends up stealing his nerves a little bit and he goes down, opens up the box and it is full of jewelry. Full of all kinds of jewelry, almost to the fact where it's a little over the top. But he's so excited about the aspect and fantasizing about how this will be his last hit. This is just what he needed to get out of his bad situation and fix things with his wife and his kid and all that stuff or his girlfriend or whatever it was in the book. He kind of loses track of this is a little odd that there's a box marked good stuff full of, you know, ridiculous amounts of jewelry like a like a pirate's treasure or something. So as he's wrestling with this, he starts to hear a faint baby cry from upstairs and it begins to get louder and louder, and he starts going up the stairs. He's he's almost drawn to it in a way that he can't really explain. And then he starts to think that it almost sort of maybe sounds like his child crying upstairs. And he's kind of going through these weird, I guess, hallucinations, but also thoughts in his brain that aren't really his that are kind of forcing him to do this kind of stuff. And then as his hand is touching the railing and his feet are are walking up and down on the floor, things are starting to become sticky and a little, you know, gooey, that kind of stuff, as he's walking towards the sound of this baby. So it starts getting really dark really quick. And there's a great part in there where he goes to open the door to find out where the crying's coming from. And he says that the door is warm to the touch. And as you're reading through the story, and if you read this particular story, you know what I'm talking about. I just thought that was a really nice, you know, cherry on top to say that even the door was warm. We're starting to get the idea that maybe there's more to this home than what, uh, you know, there's something different about this place. Definitely something going on here. So even though he's on this time limit, he's done this a bunch of times, he knows not to stick around for too long. He's still being sort of drawn toward this sound. He goes in there, he sees a crib, and it says that he needs to see his baby. So he's brainwashed or whatever is going on has him not only going to the crib, but feeling like, I have to see what's inside. And not only do I have to see what's inside, but this is my baby. I have to check on my kid to make sure that they are okay. So with all this kind of dread and unease that's going on, he leans over into the crib, in to see this crying child, his child. And holy shit, it has no face not only so it's just like a mouth on this baby so that's fucking weird right and then about the time that he sees this before he really has the the chance to react to it it juts out of the crib at him so this weird baby shaped thing shoots out towards him and he realized that it is attached to a stem some type of you know stick or stem or thing like that that this baby is attached to so uh, i think it makes a reference to like an angler fish think of that So as this thing is like pushing and darting towards him and spearing at him, he begins to have smells of his memories. He's getting these wafting smells coming through as he's, you know, trying to jump away from this weird mouth stem baby thing. And he's smelling, you know, his girlfriend's perfume. He's smelling clove cigarettes from high school. And it really made me think about, uh, I know I wasn't going to say any references, but one I want to throw out is the SpongeBob movie. So anyone, I'm sure some some of you listening have probably seen it, but there's a scene with like a grandma, and the grandma is actually an extension of this giant sea creature thing. That's that's what popped into my head immediately when I, when I thought about the stem like jumping towards him. But yeah, the anglerfish is a definitely more spooky comparison. So go with that. But anyway, it's tense. This whole scene is super tense. Because remember, the floor is sticky. So as he's like backing away and trying to get away, his hands and his feet and his legs and everything is also sort of sticking to the floor. So now we're getting the idea that, whatever this room is or whatever this baby crib thing that it's all connected and maybe even the whole house i don't know but it seems like this thing is trying to fucking eat him and it's scary shit but yeah i thought that was awesome to give it the ability to you know whatever this thing is it has the ability to to tap into his memories and that's kind of how it was drawing him to those things you know it was it was enticing him with different smells and sounds that it knew would, you know, push his brain into a mode to where he felt like he had to, you know, whatever kind of lizard brain part that is, that thing is able to lure you in with it. Fucking awesome. So as he's running away from this thing, the, we understand that the house is trying to consume him and as he's running, he realizes that everything about this house is a part of whatever this monster, alien, whatever this thing is, it's trying to eat him. And so essentially, the house is a, a camouflage, you know, like a like a plant might do or a bug or something like that. It's using this camouflage to mask itself, to lure things in. And when it gets in there, it gets stuck and it gets eaten. You know, a Venus flytrap or those the other type of Venus flytrap. It's like a tube that when they go in, the, the sugar from the thing makes them stick or whatever. I don't know if you've watched any Discovery Channel. That stuff's on there. So he ends up narrowly, barely making out of the house alive. And this whole thing like pulls itself off of the frame of the house, just sh- turns itself into a little ball, and then just fucking floats off into space, into the ether. So, and yeah, that is the end of that story. I thought it was pretty awesome. The fact that the house was using the frame, so it just kind of set itself. You know, whatever that entity was, it set itself over the frame of the house. So it said when it pulled away, there was nothing nothing left but the wood framing. In other words, this was not a house that was for sale. Everything about the home, the lights, everything was a part of this, you know, monster, thing, creature, whatever. And I just thought that was really cool. So, yeah, really liked that story. Really liked the idea. Really liked the different directions that it took and... Um, Out of the ones that I reviewed, probably my favorite. I'd say my favorite. The last story that we're going to take a look at is called Storms of the Present. Now, Storms of the Present, much like these other stories, is going to be pretty straightforward. And I know I'm not doing them justice by explaining them, you know, super fast, kind of an abbreviated version on here. But this one is going to be about someone. It starts out with somebody getting a kit in the mail. They get this kit and they remove it. And we find out it's scalpels and it's almost a do-it-yourself a do-it-yourself fat removal kit. And I mean like the fat from like your your body. So this person, they have this kit and they talked about how they watched it online and went over directions and they know what they're doing, and then they actually commit. Now there is some there, there is a little bit of where they're hesitant and they're nervous. And then we find out a little bit of backstory about the person who got the kit where their mother was very overbearing and, you know, I guess made them feel uh, guilty or whatever about being overweight, whatever the, the case might, may be. And then this person is then hesitant about using this kit, you know, to cut fat off of their body, as I would think anybody would. So hesitancy be damned. They decide to do it anyway. And it goes through the whole scene of them, like, taking out the scalpels cutting into their flesh, you know, cutting this fat off their body. It's all written really well. You'll love it when you read that scene. It's uh, very cringe-worthy for anyone that doesn't like blades and scalpels and cuts and all that. I know some people are just like, about that stuff. So if that's your thing, you're going to love this part. So as they're peeling these pieces off of them, you, you know, they're talking about whether or not they're going too deep, and they're starting to get a little more excited, a little more confidence so they're cutting just layers of fat all, off of themselves. And they start to get a little nervous, like, okay, well, I don't want to go too deep or anything. Well, as they start to decide that they're going to take a break from it, they feel something pull on the scalpel as they try to pull it out. So think like a suction sort of thing. As I pull, it's pulling back. And the harder I pull, the harder it pulls. And there's this kind of back and forth tug of war, and you don't really know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, clink, the scalpel fucking breaks. And the tip of the scalpel, not only does it break in half, but... Stu- and the reason I say, I can't remember if they said if this was uh it, what the character was, if it was a uh, uh, male or female or whatever. And um, so the scalpel breaks off inside of them and their stomach seems to take it in. And then, you know, the main character is like, it felt like somebody was pulling it. It felt like something inside of me was pulling that thing into itself. And again, another cool part about the story is we don't know much about the main character. Are they hallucinating? Are they crazy? Is this something typical for this person? You know, is their fear warranted or, you know, whatever that is. So I think that's another fun part about this story is just trying to figure out where the headspace of the main character is as they go through these different events that are taking place. You know, obviously they're cutting fat off of their body. So we're trying to figure out is that normal in the world that exists in this story or is this really just sort of someone who's a little mad, or desperate or whatever the case may be to get this off their body because of the way they were treated by their you know mother as they were growing up. All right, so as the story moves on, we realize that that little piece of blade inside their body is moving around. How fucking you know, oh, you just think about a piece of a scalpel just surfing around inside your body. I mean, it's just such a such a oh, uncomfortable feeling. So And not only is the scalpel start moving around, but then it starts to carve words in the flesh of this, of the main character. So it's carving out words in the skin that'll scar up so they can see them on the outside. And what is it saying? Feed. So there's something inside the fat and the main character starts to realize this. It starts to feel something inside of them worming itself around, you know, tapeworm reference or you know alien or whatever it might be we don't know but whatever it is it's sentient enough to be able to communicate with its host we'll say the main character to say feed me and so the idea of that as they were cutting the fat off of their body they had to stop because essentially they would have cut this whatever this thing is inside of them that's that's wanting to eat out and again the cool part about it for me was trying to figure out is this a real is this all in this person's head or is there actually something inside of it trying to get out and it's carving these things into its stomach. And not only does it say feed, but also like salt and sugar. And it prods the inside of the body of the main character to try to get it to go certain places. Like, like, uh, for example, the main character couldn't just go sit on the couch. The scalpel from the inside would stab it to make it stand up, then stab, you know, them to make, walk them towards the pantry. And there's this cool scene where they don't want to eat you know uh, a whole bag of chips or all the stuff in the pantry and then later on in the story we learn that they've eaten everything in the house and all at the prompting of this worm thing whatever is inside of them uh, because if not it'll continue to cut it and, and they also talk about as it cuts it can feel it hitting harder things let's say tendons or bones or whatever it might be so they don't want to not listen to it afraid that it'll like eviscerate them from the inside out so yeah pretty gnarly story Another part about this, there's a theme of flies. So throughout the story, you know, it talks about flies being in there or a cloud of flies, a bunch of flies, a bunch of flies all over the place. We assume it's because this person is essentially maybe a hoarder or a snob or a snob. Snob's have flies. I'm sorry, a slob. And this person's house is just filthy. And that's why we have all these flies everywhere. Well, once the house is run out of food, the thing inside the main character says, well, let's go check the basement out. So it starts prodding uh, them to go towards the basement and they open the door and our main character standing there at the top and this big huge rush of flies comes out and we realize that mom the one we've been talking about through the whole story lay dead as fuck at the bottom of the stairs just rotting away and it's written really well this part talking about you know uh you know mamaw down there rotting away and all that and it, it was a cool part for me in the story And at this point, our main character has basically become a slave to that thing that's inside of him. Now, is this a metaphorical message about obesity? Maybe. I guess you could think a little hard on it if you wanted to and just say we're controlled by our, um, you know, our eating addictions or whatever it might be. You know, someone in this state that they will go through these extremes. But, you know, if they don't handle the mental side of things, you know, that is still going to control them. If you get on a weight loss pill or something like that, but you don't change the things in your brain that tell you to eat that you know that is still controlling you so again with this character we don't know if that's what's going on is there actually something inside their stomach or have they reached a complete mental snap to where their hunger is what's forcing them and telling them to do all these things and they're hallucinating well as they open the stairs they see dead mom now we know this person's at minimum a murderer you know and uh, they decide to throw themselves down the stairs. And it talks about how the thing inside of them is scared, but as they tip and fall down the stairs, they realize that the thing inside of them is excited, not scared. It wanted this to happen. It wants them to throw their, you know, uh, sad self down the stairs and kill themselves, essentially. Oh, and I also forgot, the the whole part about the story that makes this cool is this, this whole descent into complete obedience and... Uh, You know blind kind of slave to their own body sort of thing that happens to our main character And even talks about how you know, they lose track of time They don't know how long it's been how long they've been without food how long they've been eating this stuff, whatever Anyway main character hits the bottom of the stairs the landing there their neck breaks or something like that either way They can't move and this thing inside of them ends up breaking loose coming out of the body and slithers its way to a drain That's down there. However the interesting part and the cool part about it is as this thing is out and slithering down the drain to get into the water system or whatever it it becomes the main character so the main character who's been talking to us throughout this whole thing is saying that I am slithering towards the drain. I am doing this. I am not doing that. So we don't know still was this thing inside of them, them the whole time, or was there actually some kind of creature? What the fuck was it? I don't know. And I love not knowing. I love that. It's not told to you directly. It's just a mystery. And that's the beauty of, you know, horror stories and, and, ones like these is it doesn't have to give you everything. I mean, I think it's a beautiful part of horror. You know, we're using our imaginations and we can make our own assumptions about what happened. None of them are wrong and they don't have to be right. It's fine. It's horror. It's beautiful. I loved this book. I thought it was great. Super entertaining. Um, can't wait to read the rest of them. Of the other stories that are in there. Like I said, I'm just going to review these four because I don't want to give the whole book away. I want you to go buy this book. Tell me what you thought about these stories. Also, Tell me what your favorite story was in the book after you've read through the whole thing. You can go to the comments or, or where on all my socials or whatever, comment on the post, and let me know what your favorite was. And uh, yeah, I always comment back, so no worries on that. But yeah, I hope you have enjoyed this. This has been our bonus book review episode with Suburban Monsters by Christopher Hawkins. Again, he does have a new book that you can go and pre-order called Downpour. Go and check that out. This has been the Just James Horror Review I'm your host, Just James.